Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called The Mexican Grand Prix. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going great. How about yourself? You're looking a bit festive there, I must confess. I love the spirit of the Mexican Day of the Dead. Uh, I thought that I would honor that. <laughs> by dressing up again in my face paints and stuff. That title was supplied by at Ben Lop. There was a runner-up as well, which was from at Darren Pooley. I looked at my kingdom. I was finally there to sit on my throne as the Prince of F1. More about why that was a terrible post-race championship celebration message later. We're also joined by autosport journalist Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? It's going great, Spanners. Just uh, sitting back and enjoying the weekend. It was a great weekend of racing. Uh, just a great weekend of racing for you, Chris. We're not we're not going to address the elephant in the room. No, not at all. We are an independent podcast. He's hungover, produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first, and we are. We are doing it at ten p.m. The race finished just before nine p.m. in the UK. The clocks went back. I actually did get a lion, even though I'm a parent, because my little spawns have grown up enough to make themselves breakfast and leave mummy and daddy the heck alone. Hello to the live stream. You can find us by searching Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube. Let's talk about qualifying, Chris, where we all got rickrolled. Yeah, it was a super tense qualifying, wasn't it? Uh, Three teams separated by, what, about a quarter of a second, but the two Red Bulls split by only... 200s or so and it was a really interesting comparison if you watch the the side by side between max and daniel because max was up by what two tenths of a second by the time they get out of turn three but then daniel clawed that time back as the lap unfolded actually that was really interesting in qualifying when they showed the side by side they started off the lap pretty identical the one thing i noticed was that max verstappen was a lot busier on the wheel so he was doing a lot more corrections well, Max has a similar st- driving style to Sebastian Vettel, where you rotate the car through the rear axle more. It's great for low-speed corners, and that's why he was so much quicker in that first uh, sector. 
but Daniel's more traditional style works better through the high speed. But wasn't it good though, Matt, to see the championship contenders not being right up at the front? We've become so used to either just Mercedes or just Mercedes and Ferrari to see other teams having a strong period in the race and seeing championship contenders fighting for the other points positions was just brilliant. I'm really hoping we can have more of that next year. Yeah, it was uh, rather lovely to see someone that was not Ferrari or Mercedes up at the front. And decidedly, once again, the crazy weather patterns played their very important part in robbing the teams of their all-important consistent data across a weekend. Right. Tell us about that and tell me why, in practice, it looked like it was going to be Renault and Red Bull and Mercedes were absolutely nowhere. Well, the important thing to realize if you're looking at at FP2, which is the first session that you really want to look at to try and glean anything from the uh, chicken bones, as it were, is the temperatures on the track were 47 degrees centigrade Celsius. What do you call it over there? Hotness. Hotness. It was it was super duper hot. How about that? Does that work for you? Yes, super duper hot. Thank you. It was super duper hot. And uh, Mercedes had actually, it had gotten so bad for them, they had to turn their engines down to keep them from overheating while they were running. But on top of it, what we saw was that that temperatures, none of the teams could get the hypersofts to run more than a couple of, more than about a lap. After I think two or three laps, even Ferrari were losing three seconds a lap. That's just, yeah, that's that's never happened before. And certainly made everybody very excited. And then when we get to qualifying in FP3 on Saturday, it's the opposite. It's 19 degrees, raining, damp. So everything the teams think they've learned about how to make these tires work, they now have no opportunity to test whatsoever. I actually forgot the Hypersofts were part of this race. So I, I don't know what happened with the tires during qualifying. Did most people qualify or did the top guys qualify on the, oh my God, right. Hypersoft was the, soft, was the softest, Ultrasoft is the middle, and Supersoft was the hardest. Thank goodness there's only three races left of that lunacy. So most people qualified to start on the medium tyre, which was the uh, ultra soft. Am yeah, I right, in Matt? all honesty, I was really hoping that most of the top guys were going to have to use the hyper soft because it would have created a, a much more divergent strategy, especially for the, the top guys. And I would have thought that with the rain overnight, uh, before qualifying that maybe the, the the track conditions would have been ramping up so dramatically that it would have been worth um, having to use the hypersoft um, but Pirelli can you know create a bigger delta between the qualifying tire and the first race tire as it were to try and spice that up in the future. Chris Red Bull were confident about this track, this Mexico track, relatively new to us as F1 fans. I don't think we were surprised when Red Bull said Monaco is going to be a, a a track that's strong for us. We don't think we were surprised when they said Singapore is going to be a strong track for us. When they said Mexico is going to be a strong track, I was surprised just because I'd not thought about it. What is it? Is it the altitude? Is it, is it the shortness? Is it the narrowness? What is it? Well, yeah, when you look at the face of it, you know, especially with that one kilometer back straight and it's the highest speed we see all season, it doesn't scream, you know, Red Bull uh, at you. But uh, you're right in saying it is very much the altitude at uh, 2200 meters above sea level. There's less air for the engines for combustion. uh, And so you're relying a lot more on the turbo and the ERS system. So you tend to get a bit of a convergence of performance there. But 
Red Bull was still losing what, half a second compared to Mercedes and Ferrari in that first sector. So the big, big difference comes in the downforce because you've got less air, you have less downforce. So if you're running the same wing level as you would run at Monaco, the actual downforce you're getting on the car is comparable to what you see at Monza, for example, which is the lowest downforce package of the year. So if you have a car with a good aerodynamic package, your performance is exaggerated. Good. I'm looking to Matt to see if he's nodding, uh, and he, he seems to be, so that's good. Tell me why Renault and Sauber rounded off that top 10. Uh, is it is it similar? Is it the fact that they were strong in the same way Red Bull was strong? Well, I didn't look at the sector times as closely um, as perhaps Stevens did for those sessions. And their uh, the power of their engine and the way their engine deployed power, the size of their turbocharger, was less of a disadvantage than it perhaps was to Mercedes and Ferrari. And certainly for Sauber, uh, their their arrow is simpler. So so they would have benefited um, from they would have benefited from that as well. Tell you what, then, Chris, before we go on to the race, what would you like to say? I, I think the Sauber's been working as a good car. You know, it's been in, in had two cars in, in Q3 for uh, quite a few of the last uh, races now. Um, but I think both teams there were helped by the fact that Force India really elected not to try and get into Q3 so that they could get the benefit of starting on some better tyres. Which nearly worked. But that is chat for the actual race bit of the race review. And that is coming up now. And here's where we hand over to Chris to tell us where the race was won and lost. Well, for me, the start was a really crucial uh, part of the race, as it often is. Ricardo, the pole man, gets wheel spin off the line and loses out to both Hamilton and Verstappen uh, by the time they get into turn one. Verstappen was very punchy into turn one and Hamilton gives up the corner to him. Um, which really highlights how he treats Max differently. We saw a glimpse <laughs> of it in Austin, and here he just kind of waved him through. But Matt, there's two reasons really, isn't there? Do you think that Hamilton might have suspected that even with a lightning start, the Red Bulls were going to be fast anyway, probably more than happy just to pick off one of them? Yeah, well, you would assume if you were Mercedes that at a certain point you would have the advantage and be able to take, because they're passing opportunities on track, that you would be able to use your power and DRS to get that position back. But obviously, as the race unfolded, that was not really going to be the case. And by the way, Lewis Hamilton, if you can start like that, could you just not do that every time? We could have had this wrapped up by Barcelona. That was a mega star, wasn't it? And just to kind of highlight how differently he was treating. <clears throat> oh dear, is that is that your Jaeger bombs coming through from last night? Is it, Chris? <laughs> His voice is breaking. Come on, you can do this. <laughs> just to highlight how differently he was treating Max um, later in the race, he did rather lunge Kimi Raikkonen, didn't he? He did not have the corner at any point, but Raikkonen, in a very similar way to what Hamilton did earlier, just just led him through. So um, he, he does treat Max quite differently, which did become a crucial part in the race for Max to get the clean air at, straight away because then he was able to start building that gap. I would disagree a little bit. I, I think Hamilton was in a much different headspace when, the, when, when that happened. He was much more desperate about uh, what he was up to uh, with with Raikkonen than he was uh, at the beginning of the race, where he he really I don't think he had an any inkling of the difficult race he was in for. 
Okay, Matt, let's talk about strategy a little bit. Because once they'd settled in to this, this strategy of, uh, sorry, once they'd settled into their positions, we were in quite a, uh, a different and interesting position where Lewis Hamilton knew he didn't have fresh sets of necessarily the tyres he would want to have. He also didn't have the pace. He also had people behind him who were faster because un- uncharacteristically he'd found himself out of position. So he was in second place of a Grand Prix, but he held none of the cards. Yeah, no, he he didn't have the pace. The uh, Mercedes could not get those tires to work properly at all. And as as the early uh, phase of the race unfolded, he was he was in desperate times. The car was understeering, the tires were graining. It was all it was all going very very badly for him and it was going to be a challenging afternoon. And maybe the first good thing that happened to him had to have been the uh, virtual safety car being called out for everybody's favorite retiree. What, Fernando Alonso? But that was like lap four, wasn't it? Chris, did you have fears that they were going to roll the dice and do an early lap four pit stop to try and get off those tires? I think if they had started on the hypersofts, it might have been worth it, actually, because they really weren't going that sort of distance. But starting on the ultrasoft, it it just wouldn't have made um, any sense. Although I think this was a more clear cut two stopper than Austin was. So you think it was they they went out there thinking they were going to do two stops? I think they considered the idea more than they did in Austin. I think they would have aimed for a one stopper. Chris, tell me this, though. Sebastian Vettel, all throughout that race looked like the fastest race car driver combination. Could he have won that race today? I'm not sure. The Red Bull looked very formidable, um, didn't it? Um, I didn't see anything that suggested on even terms Vettel would have been able to beat Verstappen on pace. We know that Verstappen would have been you know, not pushing when he's got a 12-second lead over the rest of the field, no real need to stress the car in any way, whereas Vettel was desperately trying to come back through the field. You know, he was, what, P5 after the start, lost a lot of time trying to get through the traffic and then was even put back behind Ricardo when they did the the uh, one-stopper, when they did the two-stopper and Ricardo stayed on the one. That's an interesting point in itself, isn't it? Because I will say here, I want to talk about the bet I did with Sebastian Vettel, but the Red Bull strategy, Matt, did you believe Horner when they said, oh, no, 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 we're leaving Ricciardo out because when we took Vet, uh, Sva- uh, Verstappen's tyres off, they looked fine. No, we're definitely not leaving Ricciardo out to block Sebastian Vettel. I, I didn't buy that. Well, yeah, on the one hand, but on the other hand, uh, before his engine went bang, he was, what, six seconds back of Max? And and or eight seconds back and starting to close in with plenty of laps left. So I might actually be inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one, that it was a quicker way around the track for him than it was for Max. At the, at the end of the day, they would have got a one-two out of that. Uh, if, if they'd have pitted Ricardo again, he would have dropped back behind Vettel. So they were able to, you know, they got a spot out of keeping him out. And it was worth trying to, to to keep him behind because they were just guaranteed third place after that. So it was worth the risk. You see, Ferrari tried to do the same thing with Kimi Raikkonen as well because he then jumped the Mercedes. Yeah, but Ricardo's better than Kimi Raikkonen. Yeah, but you're right. Yes, Kimi Raikkonen was able to make up a place. I made a bet at the beginning of this weekend after Austin. I was trying to get a combo bet and there is a website where you can actually... Uh, request odds on certain things. And I wanted to know the odds of Sebastian Vettel making contact with another car 
that then causes him to drop out of the top 10. Uh, and now that company would not give me the bet as it was, but they gave me two separate bets. So I got four to one on Sebastian Vettel making contact on the first lap, which I thought was a absolute bargain. I thought that was a bargain at four to one. So I did chuck a bit of money on that. And then uh, not so good. I think seven to two on him dropping out of the top, out of the top 10 on the first lap. But sure enough, Chris, he did make contact with Bottas in that first lap. It was completely innocuous. But the fact of the matter is Vettel can't seem to make a clean start when he's not on the front row of a Grand Prix. Look at that percentage. When he's in the front of a Grand Prix, no bother. But when he's in the pack, his hit percentage is real high. I, I don't think today's incident is really comparable to, to the other ones because I think he was being squeezed a bit. It's an incredibly tight corner. Not often you see cars going side by side through there um, anyway. I, I wouldn't read much into to this one in particular. <laughs> well, it was enough. It was enough to give me four to one. Uh, where are we on your list of uh, where the race was won and lost, Chris? Uh, well, it's worth mentioning the tyre scenario. because what, what, you? Don't we hand over to Matt? Oh, well, it depends. On how tell I you what, feel like let's give you a go. Let's put a rookie in the end zone. You tell us something about tyres and Matt can judge you silently. Hang on, I'll just do the picture in picture so everyone can, can see Matt judging you. Do continue. <laughs> uh, one of the important factors in this race was that Verstappen was the only driver in that top six with two fresh sets of super soft tyre. Uh, whereas everyone else really only had the ultra soft available to them. Now, although the gaps ended up being quite uh, accentuated in the end, having those super soft tires, because it was the better race tire, probably would have brought that field a little bit closer um, together. Because we saw Vettel chasing down Ricardo. As soon as you're in the pack, those ultra soft tires, they fade away pretty quickly. The verdict, Matt? Can I, can I be honest with you? As soon as he started talking about tires, all I heard was blah, 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 spanners. Right. That's how everyone feels <laughs> all is. the time. <laughs> it sounds like that to me when I'm talking. So somebody in our Slack group, though, made an interesting point that they felt that the tire wear actually dominated the race and we'd not been used to it. And it, it kind of overwhelmed the tactics of the race. And they didn't want to see tires falling apart like this. But it, it's funny because whatever way it goes, somebody's not happy. We, we've been looking to the tyres this season to actually cause a little bit more of a mix-up. We've often accused Pirelli of being too conservative. What do we want? When do we want it? Uh, trumpets. Now. now. Yeah, <laughs> we want it now. Now, in terms of the tyres, uh, this was almost like a throwback race to the chocolate tyres uh, for, for some of the teams, but not for all of the teams. And I think that's what made it more interesting. Um, uh, Vettel taking the second pit stop. He was very, very fast. I mean, I think Ferrari might have been the best on their tires out of all the teams. Yeah. But I think the advantage gained with uh, Verstappen getting into the lead and staying there through the entire first stint of the race was what allowed them to, to, to build that window that Vettel at the end of the day was just not going to be able to navigate. And yeah, Chris. That's a fair enough point, especially when you consider Vettel was in traffic for the vast majority of that Grand Prix. So his tyres were going to wear quicker regardless. So the fact that he was able to kind of maintain that pace, it would suggest that it was at least on par with the Red Bull. Um, I would say a little bit ahead because Max was, uh, you know, in clear air um, the whole race. And I think uh, 
that played a part in reliability as well. If you remember at this race last year, a lot of Renault cars had issues with overheating because they were in the pack. Max was fine because he was in clear air the whole race. And uh, as we've seen um, here, we don't know if what ended Ricardo's race was an overheating issue. Um, but it, it seems uh, like a bit of a coincidence, you know, that we've seen that scenario again. Max was in clean air. He was the, the OK car. You could also point to another factor, which is Daniel Ricardo is unfortunately in the position of being in the car that has DNF'd seven times this season. And uh, it's quite interesting to hear Max Verstappen saying, shall I turn my engine down? And the engineers all but said, no, no, don't worry. That only happens to the other car. Your car will be fine. Keep pushing. But it was a fantastic drive by Max Verstappen. He qualified high up the grid. Very unfortunate not to get pole. Very close run thing. Fought the four, now five-time world champion into turn one of the Mexican Grand Prix. Earned that position up front and then pulled away. It wasn't like he was desperately holding off uh, the Mercedes car behind, um, was it, Matt? You know, this is this was a genuine win, not on attrition. This was a win on pace, a win on merit for Max Verstappen in that Red Bull. Yeah, it pretty much was. He brought the car. Oh, he did his best to ruin it at the end by driving too fast. This is true. Yeah, and uh, I'm distracted by the chat room explaining that uh, the official verdict on Ricciardo's car was indeed hydraulics. If anyone's interested, we are. Thank you very much, chat room. Uh, and uh yeah it was it was a more mature drive but Mm -hmm. i think i will say i believe he was helped by the fact that hamilton didn't find it necessary to be excessively combative at the start of the race when he could have been had lewis hamilton got ahead of max verstappen you still would fancy that verstappen would have been right on the gearbox of hamilton and, and was likely to take that place back yeah, don't get me wrong. Mercedes did not have the car to win the race today. Not even close. But if we were to say flip flip it a little bit and say that if Hamilton didn't win the race, he had no shot at the championship in today's race. Yeah, I think turn one might have looked different. That's literally all that I am saying. That that may well be a very fair point. Uh, however, Max Verstappen could only race the Lewis Hamilton that was put in front of him. And Lewis Hamilton didn't finish second on his gearbox. Lewis Hamilton finished back down the field in what would have been fifth place. So this is still a race win on merit, is it not, Chris? Oh, 100%. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he just got out into the front and Cruiseway was building up that gap so quickly and so confidently, um, even over you know a bunch of uh, other, other cars. And nobody else had the pace to match it even when they got into clear air so yeah this is very much a hard fought win uh, let's just talk about um what max verstappen was really up against because he fended off the challenge of lewis hamilton and had lewis hamilton got ahead that would have been enough not to not to give lewis hamilton the win because i think max verstappen would have come back at him however it would have a, a kind of crippled his tires it would have given him a disadvantage in his race against Sebastian Vettel and I think that that was really the key battle in the end wasn't it Chris when we talk about where the race was won and lost it was really Max Verstappen versus Sebastian Vettel yeah I think Vettel you would consider him the closest car I'd say Ricardo would have been um, the closer car because um, the two of them were, were very close and I would like to have seen them on the same strategy to see 
you know who would have in a in an equal fight come out on top so we know really who really was in the pecking order but ricardo uh, lost a lot of time behind lewis hamilton didn't he so he he that, ended up behind lewis hamilton he avoided the scenario matt that we've been talking about that that verstappen avoided he verstappen didn't get stuck behind lewis hamilton and ricardo did and that's down to driver performance yeah i mean it was a bad if he'd gotten a decent start it would have been a different story yeah absolutely you could you could say that for him, the race, the entire race was at the start. Um, and then Vettel behind him, too, was, was held up tremendously. And none of them were helped by the fact that we had many a virtual safety car, but not a single real safety car, because those gaps never went away. So let's uh, let's look at Sebastian Vettel's charge up the field and his charge towards Max Verstappen. Uh, Lewis Hamilton did make it easy for Sebastian Vettel to pass him. It was Daniel Ricciardo that he kind of fought a little more. And that's when his tyres disappeared and he ended up going off into turn one. Uh, And that set off that late chain of events. So everyone's kind of hanging on for their tyres. Matt, was there any point at which Lewis Hamilton pitting and setting off that chain reaction could have influenced the race? I I I don't think that it could. I mean, it was only a matter of time till he was passed. Those tires would have been marginal to get to the end. And we saw the same thing happen to his compatriot um, into the same turn on the same lap. So I think it was a necessity for Mercedes. But what it did do was it opened the door for um, Vettel to come back in and get a fresh set of tires and 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 have one more chance to to work his way all the way up to the front. Because I think at that point, his tires were too done to have a chance of catching. That must have been Ferrari's thinking. What do you think, Chris? I don't think it necessarily influenced Ferrari and Red Bull's decision to two-stop Vettel and Verstappen. I think Mercedes were pretty much decided on a two-stopper, not not early into the race, but certainly as it was unfolding, you know, they were going to to two-stop because that car just cannot look after its tyres as well as the Ferrari or the Red Bull, and there was there was clear you could see the the degradation on the tire, not just in the slow mos, but even on the the regular live feed. It was clear as day. The fronts were were wearing horribly. Um, I think Ferrari and Red Bull's decision was a little bit more independent. All right, that's a great summary, Chris. You've done quite well. Well done. Let's focus in on Max Verstappen and his form because isn't it important as we're coming to what we feel like the end of the season is. In fact, there's two races left and there's still a constructor's title up for grabs. But whilst the title battle has has been decided and next year we're looking to Red Bull to have that Honda behind and people are very optimistic about that Honda power unit with the Red Bull aero package. And then combined with that, Matt, we've got Max Verstappen coming into form from 18th to 2nd in Austin and then this race victory, not by attrition, but on merit, it's all starting to look a little bit spicy for 2019. Yeah, it is. And of course, you always do have that question in the back of your head. What exactly would they do if they had a Ferrari or a Mercedes power unit <laughs> already? But Honda has been making strides. Uh, was it um, uh, not uh, Gasly finished in the top 10 uh, at the at the end of the day? Um Hartley actually looked fast. So, I mean, this was, this was all looking very good for Honda all the way around, but it's also the first year of, of them being official partners. And as we've seen with McLaren going to Renault, even if we're happy, 
it's not always 100% the first year round. So really, if we're going to be excited for Red Bull, I, I would say 2020 would be more the year to look at. I think next year will be a growing pains kind of year where you'll have the same kind of occasional flash of brilliance and then uh, you know, beating your head against the wall at, I can't believe we just forgot to plug thing A into slot B and my car stopped. Yeah, Chris. I wouldn't be at all surprised to hear the Austrian national anthem a couple of times uh, next year. I think Honda on performance has been making some really great gains and at the beginning of next season will probably be ahead of Renault and knocking on the door of you know, Ferrari and, and Mercedes. Uh, the question mark for me remains about its reliability because we haven't really had a fair comparison for Honda against the other manufacturers because they've done so many races where they've just stuck a new unit in and sacrificed qualifying and started at the back of the grid more so than any other manufacturer. And so I think in terms of reliability, the, the performance is skewed a little bit, you know, because as, as impressive as Gasly's drive was to go from last to 10th, he had a brand new engine in that car. So it's, well, not a brand new engine, but a fresher one at any rate. So it's, um, in, in that sense, it's a little bit skewed. So the reliability for me is still un- uncertain. Certainly a, a massive topic for the off-season, Matt. Yeah, well, I mean, if we're going to cast reliability stones, how many Renaults failed to finish the race today? At least two. So Sainz <laughs> and Alonso and, and yeah. Ricardo. Yeah, so so yeah, that's that that's 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 a remarkable percentage. But what you're leaving out and what is important is I believe Renault is coming with an all new power unit, an all new redesigned power unit for next year. So the comparisons with this year's Renault power unit may be true, but we're not going to know till everybody shows up at testing next year what gains have been made by Oh him. Renault, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me four or five, how many engines have we had? Fool, fool me 17 times. Uh, shame on uh, Alonso and McLaren. Uh, anyway, okay, look, let, let's move on because we've established how the race was won and lost. I think we've acknowledged what was a fantastic Max Verstappen victory on a rich run of form, but we can't ignore the elephant in the room, which is we have a new world champion for this year. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
Before we move on to talking about a certain five-time world champion, doesn't that sound incredible? Uh, just a huge thanks to people who responded to my Patreon appeal at the end of the last show. Uh, I just wanted to clarify that it wasn't a case of waiting to see if I got enough support. I literally had to either go part-time at work, dump my radio ambitions, or stop doing Missed Apex just because of the time. So it wasn't a case of seeing if I got enough support and then dropping hours. I would have been faced with the choice of either going, nope, can't be a radio man anymore, or stopping doing Missed Apex, which would break my heart, or even worse, trusting Matt and Chris, trusting these two clowns to run Missed Apex while I was busy doing other things. And who's wearing the makeup exactly? This is not clown makeup. Uh, That's quite culturally insensitive of you. I apologize to all our Mexican fans. Gosh, Matt, really, honestly, I'm embarrassed for you. Yeah, I'm not the one wearing the makeup, my friend. I look amazing. But really, honestly, thanks so much to the people who responded to that by supporting me on patreon.com forward slash missed apex. I would still like to urge you to support us, uh, not just for us, the individuals making this podcast, but I, I genuinely and passionately believe you should support podcasts in general. The podcasts that survive are the ones that are supported. It's as simple as that. You get a lot of good shows that start up and go six months or a year and they push and push and push with good quality content. But if you're not supported, every other single priority comes in and takes over. With Missed Apex Podcast, I could easily have been drowned by work and radio and freelance commitments, but we are a supportive podcast and that is why we are continuing. So I would hope as a podcast fan, you would put aside $10 a month to support podcasts, not just us, but the same as you'd pay for Netflix or your Spotify uh, or your Google Play. Set that aside to support podcasts and then you've had a real influence on content creation because you are essentially voting for which podcasts will survive. Uh, And I hope that since I'm the one that suggested that, you'll send $5 of that our way. Matt, let's talk about the five-time world driver champion, Lewis Hamilton, Britain's Lewis Hamilton. Where does this rank in Hamilton's titles and where does this rank in just the modern titles that we've seen? You know, in, in this century, this has been one of the great title fights. It has been. It's been a long time coming for him. And if you ask me to rank it, I'd say this, outside of his first one, I I put this up there with his very first in terms of its historical importance, because not too many people have won five titles. I mean, this puts him on a par with Fangio, who is a name that, you know, people know. I've heard of him. Yeah, he's pretty much the dude. And uh, importantly, this is a year where Mercedes has not had the same kind of dominant car that we've seen in past seasons. And that's that, I think, is to Lewis's credit. He has matured as a driver and has reached a level where even when he doesn't have the best of the best to beat his rivals into submission with, he has still managed to get the job done. Granted, I think Ferrari opened some doors for them, but he still managed to drive the car through it, as it were. I'm going to mangle that analogy into uh, oblivion. I like it. I think in terms of how he's been driving and his own performance uh, relative to his teammate and the lack of errors uh, and his own thing, it's it's been his best for me. In terms of the fight, yeah, probably the, the 2008 championship will go down as the, the toughest one 
uh, especially, you know, get the ball rolling as well after the 2007 disappointment. But uh, uh, yeah, in terms of his, how he's been driving, this is, this is right up there for the, the modern titles. I would argue the sort of 2010 and 12 titles that the Vettel one were, they were, they were more entertaining to watch across the season. Uh, and they had uh, a few more protagonists in them and uh, were much closer and harder fought battles. Uh, but this definitely does rank up there as a, as a great championship win. Yeah, Vettel made it easy for them a couple of times this season, but at no point has Lewis dropped the ball. You bring up an interesting point because as F1 fans, especially of a certain age, and I think my generation, we can get gen- jaded by Michael Schumacher ruining a bunch of championships by being dominant, uh, Lewis Hamilton ruining a bunch of championships, Sebastian Vettel and his Red Bull ruining a bunch of championships. But actually, we've had a lot of great championship fights. And, and you're right to bring up 2012 with Fernando Alonso actually leading that championship into the summer break by like 30 points, I think. And then Sebastian Vettel coming back. And, and people forget as well that Lewis Hamilton was right in that 2012 fight before the uh, unreliability and certain dynamics with McLaren came in. Yeah, not just Lewis Hamilton, you know. Uh, Weber was still in that fight. Uh, Raikkonen as well. You know, there were a lot of different guys in a lot of different teams. Uh, and there were, there were still winning races and that were really competitive. You know, there was anybody of like eight guys could have won a race in, in that season. Whereas uh, most of the time we've gone into races this season knowing it's going to be either Vettel or Hamilton. Outside shot, it's a Red Bull. And, uh, and Matt, people often talk about the best driver in the best car uh, will always win the championship. To be fair, Lewis Hamilton has kind of put that to bed a little in 2008, probably in the second best car. 2018, occasionally in the second best car. He certainly hasn't had it all his own way. No, he hasn't. And if you're Ferrari, boy, are you regretting that upgrade you brought to Singapore. And by the time they figured it out, the race had really been, and a little bit sadly, I think, the race had really pretty much been over. But I think I think at the end of it all, Ferrari were just more into the margins than Mercedes were. So even Mercedes had a bad day. They had more margin. Uh, over the course of a whole season. And and that's how we saw it play out. Fewer mistakes, problems fixed, developments worked. It's just Ferrari have caught up in a lot of ways, but they're not 100% on an even keel yet. We saw most of the mistakes from Mercedes in the earlier part of the season as well. Do you remember when we did the live show at Butmore Park? Yeah, I do. We, we sat at that table saying that, yeah, Vettel has let the team down, but the team has also let Lewis down a heck of a lot as well. Since that show, no complaints from either side. Good. I think this is this is one of the better ones. The the Nico Rosberg versus Hamilton World Driver Championships will probably end up outranking this one just because we knew he was up against a a genuinely fast one lap driver in the same machinery, whereas people will always point to or perhaps Ferrari threw this one away, Matt. You know, people can kind of go, ah, yeah, yeah, 2017, he blew it towards the end of the season, then they had unreliability. 2018, Sebastian Vettel crashed out and spun in 17 out of 20 races. Yeah, I mean, I hope they don't look back on it like that. I've been trying to argue 
well, the point that I just made that I think Vettel and Ferrari were just on the knife edge in terms of their performance. And they had gotten it to the point where they looked competitive. And when Mercedes was off, they definitely had an advantage. But all along, reliability in terms uh, in terms of certain aspects in the handling, they haven't quite got it nailed on as Mercedes. And over the course of a season, you see those. But we rate them as mistakes or poor driving. But I believe it's more nuanced and complex than that. And so I'm looking forward to see what they bring next year. What has been a privilege to watch as well unfold has been watching Vettel and Hamilton raise their game and then raise their game even more. I think last season when they both realized they were in cars capable of winning uh, the championship, they realized they have to go and find something that they can do better. And they, they raise the bar a little bit more. And then the next one pushes it up even more. And, and this season, when things have been going great, we've seen them both still do that. Yeah, Vettel's you know, missed the mark a few times. But when he's really uh, got it hooked up, especially in the early part of the season as well, they were both just raising the game higher and higher and higher. And that has been fantastic to watch. Okay, so I am informed that when Sebastian Vettel went over to Lewis Hamilton uh, when he was getting interviewed by David Coulthard, who was basically saying, uh, so, you know, when do you think you blew it? And then Sebastian Vettel looking pretty upset and then going, oh, actually, I can't answer that question. I've got to go and congratulate Lewis Hamilton. It didn't seem entirely sincere, although it was the correct and right thing to do. He went over and he was speaking to Lewis Hamilton for a very long time. Lewis Hamilton seemed uncomfortable. Uh, Sebastian Vettel had a had a grip on him. If you go back and wind the tape back and look at him, Sebastian Vettel was definitely holding him there. He was, certainly was holding him there. And I'm told, he said, keep pushing next year as I want to fight you at your best. Where does this leave Sebastian Vettel next year? Because I'm not sure Sebastian Vettel is going to be in the fight, even if Ferrari are, Chris. Well, first of all, let's assume Ferrari can still provide a car capable of winning the world championship. Vettel has the speed. He has the talent. He has the know-how. He's still one of the best guys at getting to the front of the field and just controlling a race to the minutest detail and, and making the rest of the field look like amateurs when it comes to, to winning a race. What he needs to do is just not make so many errors in wheel-to-wheel combat. He was quoted um, this week uh, as saying, and backed up by a couple of other drivers as well, that the, the aerodynamic regulations that we currently have have made it harder. Um, but then again, we haven't seen too many other drivers having as yep. many issues as he has. I'm glad you said uh, that. Tell you what, I'm just going to go to Matt. Sorry for interrupting yeah. you there. Okay. But Matt, do you remember we used to do a podcast uh, for another publication, didn't we? And... We, 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 uh, no, let's erase history. No, we've never done that. But long, long ago, we were having conversations how Sebastian Vettel could win when he was up front, uh, but really hadn't proved himself racing in the pack. Now, when Mercedes were very dominant, it was easy to point to, uh, the odd occasion that Sebastian Vettel not fighting for the championship in his Ferrari scored a few overtakes and people kind of going, Oh, that, that puts that to bed. See, he can overtake. He can race in the pack. But that kind of went away when a championship was on the line and he was racing in the pack. Just about every race where he hasn't started on the front row, he's ended up making contact. Now, whether it's the aerodynamics that are making him spin or not after that contact, he's making an awful lot of contact. He's making an awful lot of mistakes. Where does that leave him? Because I, I don't think that if he hadn't have done that, if he'd have won this year, Kimi Raikkonen's probably getting offered a contract to stay at Ferrari. 
Yeah, I would agree. But in terms of the contact and especially on the first lap, well, I don't know. We, we've seen we've seen Hamilton in Canada and we've seen Hamilton at Circuit of the Americas in the first turn getting, what do you call it over there, argy-bargy or some ridiculousness like that. Yes, we have. I think it's a feature of all top drivers that they use these tools and that that if con- they put themselves in a position where contact happens, it's not going to be their fault, and they expect other people to get around them. I don't think Vettel is doing anything differently. And we don't know. Is it his driving, or is it the car that's causing the spin? But he did make a mysterious reference to a hole in their downforce. That uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. is a wholly unsupported theory by someone who doesn't really understand aerodynamics properly whatsoever. But it looks like they may have some issues when the car is in yaw and another car approaches. And this would be similar to think of Ricciardo hitting Verstappen when Verstappen moved over and removed his downforce. They may be losing their ability to seal the diffuser with that higher degree of rake in those close combats. And then that would take pressure off of the rear and leave him very vulnerable to contact. It was just a thought that I had. Figured I'd take 20 or 30 minutes and put it out there for the audience. And whilst all that sounds very technical, Chris... I think it's the other thing. I think it's just Vettel being a bit rubbish. Sorry to our German listeners. Uh, Well, he has been putting himself in that position, granted. Um, I think it is a bit of a fact that if you're side by side with another car through a corner, you're losing downforce just because the turbulence off the side of the car, even just off the side of the car, is enough to cause you to lose some, some downforce. But Seb has been putting himself in a position where contact is near enough inevitable. Um, So, you know, faults on both sides there. On the argument about, you know, Seb, yeah, he can win a race from the front brilliantly, but he's always been in a a car that was designed to just get up the front, to be really, really quick in qualifying, to get up the front and walk away with it. That's how Red Bull won races back in uh, the day, and that's what Seb perfected doing. That's not to say he can't then do it from third or or fourth. Um, Usually, if you've got the car quick enough in, in, in qualifying, it's quick enough in the race, and vice versa. So there haven't been too many incidents where he actually can win from a lower grid position he has done it he has done it in the past i I think we're being skewed by these four world driver championships that he won all in one go in red bull i don't think he's that good so i think it's the other thing and people may yell at me but i won't be surprised if by the second half of next season uh, leclerc is showing that he's very very beatable i i think uh, because seb seems to be at his lowest, doesn't he? I've I've said this before. I, I think even on the show, I think that this is the worst I've seen Seb driving, you know, in his career. Um, and so he's quite vulnerable at the moment. He, he needs to, you know, flick a switch big time to to turn this around for next year. Good. I like how you talked about fault because we do need to establish some blame. Whose fault is it? There were some incidents. The first one, and the most controversial, is Alonso versus a little bit of wing. Whose fault was that, Matt? Because the way I saw it was, Fernando Alonso was coming in quite aggressively, but that wing really did shut the door on the exit of turn two. Well, it did, but honestly, the wing was ahead. (laughs) So, you know, what are you going to say to the policeman when he says, you tag so-and-so from behind? I mean, the wing was in front. Alonso hit it. It's kind of got to be his fault. 
That's, I, it was just reckless, reckless from Alonso. If you, if you look at the Bradley Philpot lane system, that piece of wing from Ocon's car stuck to his lane, was doing absolutely nothing. They'd entered into an agreement on the exit of that corner and Alonso just stuck his nose in. But of course, uh, that bit of front wing was dislodged by Ocon. To me, it seemed pretty simple, Chris, that Hulkenberg just completely chopped his nose. He was trying to take the racing line that he would take if it was like lap 10, lap 11. But this is lap one and you've got cars side by side and he just drove as if Ocon wasn't there. And it was it was reckless. I guess inevitably it's won him the Formula B race. But for me, that is Hulkenberg's fault. Uh, Ocon could have backed out of that. You know, there oh, wasn't really so much to be gained by having his nose in there. Well, he hadn't really had no part of his car alongside it. And yeah, although Hulkenberg does cut across, he's got every kind of right to do so. Um, and it it was just the merest of touches, wasn't it? Actually, so it was. Um, like I would say six one half a dozen the other. Really, sounds like a standard racing incident. I know you're gonna hate me for saying that, but don't worry, I've got an opinion on the other one. We've got. I'm not gonna up. hate you. I'm just gonna beep the whole thing out. I'm gonna beep out the words you just said because we don't we don't do that here, Matt. Do it properly. Whose fault I was it? Do it properly. It is absolutely one hundred percent Hulkenberg's fault. Ocon was actually backing out of it, and he was too aggressive. Coming to the apex, should have known that Ocon was alongside. I mean, let's face it, this isn't a karting track. You're not out there with a bunch of amateurs. You're supposed to be able to keep track of these people around and about you. And what can I say? I think he was too aggressive, and he's very fortunate he didn't wind up with a puncture. And then Ocon also collided with Hartley, leaving Hartley with a kind of Max, Mad Max Fury Road type spike sticking out of the barge boards. It was brilliant. 100% Hartley's fault. Ocon had the corner and Hartley just left him no room. So it's a pretty bad race for Ocon, really, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, poor lad. He just he didn't get involved. And the thing is, though, the, the Force Indias did have a good battle plan. They had a good race strategy map. Because we're talking about the, think, the Formula B now, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And, and I was going to say, as bad as his race was, it was still better than Perez, who looked to be <laughs> the ascendant hero in his hometown until, yeah. Okay, well, well, tell me about Perez's race, because the Formula B race was Hulkenberg, who was doing it plan A. He'd qualified high. He started off on the softer tyre. One stopped, did he, Hulkenberg, in the end, onto the yeah. onto the hardest tyre? Perez, deliberately, they said, didn't qualify in the top 10 so that they'd get a tyre choice. Not something we've seen before. Two things went wrong. Firstly, he got stuck behind Ericsson, who actually defended really well. Yeah, he he did, but in the end of the day, he he made he made some beautiful overtakes, and and he was on his he w- he was on his way to chasing down Hulkenberg, and then his car just kind of stopped running, <laughs> but it actually broke. I think the rear as the rear suspension. Yeah. I didn't hear the final cause. Did, did I either? I thought it was brakes. I thought it was brakes, but that can be clarified by those those uh, those other podcasts who are dangling their bits in the pool and not bothering staying up till two a.m editing a Sunday night podcast ready for your Monday morning commute. Missed Apex podcast loves you to heck with those other guys. I'm just going to say it to heck with all of them. Um, but he definitely did it the hard way and waiting for Ericsson to get out of his he- out of his way wasn't going to work. And I think he got held up for like 10 laps. But then he also had to battle past Leclerc, which under blue flags gave us one of the best battles of this race. Yeah, it did because we had at the same time... Um two of the front rudders behind them. So you had not only these two pairs of cars battling, 
but you had under blue flags the both of them trying to get out of the way. And the net result of it for Perez was he had taken the place from Leclerc, but in trying to get out of the way of the front runners coming through, he actually got passed again and was forced the following lap to make a just a beautiful move to 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 take the position back and kind of for good at that point, or at least until his car stopped working, in which case it went back to Leclerc. And Chris, do you think Ricardo was robbed by Vettel uh, by those back markers? Because to be fair, like whatever happened, Sebastian Vettel like disappeared six seconds up the road fairly quickly after getting past him. Uh, I'd say that Vettel at the time had a, a slight advantage. You know, the Ferrari seemed a lot happier on those tyres than it did on the the softer tyres earlier in the race. Uh, I think that the, the back markers probably helped him a little bit um, because he was able to get DRS down the straight, which was going to be handy because the Ferrari was, what, seven, eight kilometres an hour quicker down the straight in qualifying um so that was a, a bit of an advantage but i mean it's a short it's a short track it's a 75 second lap so traffic is always going to be an issue it was and yeah he ended up losing pace through the stadium section and sebastian vettel got past him i think it was a matter of uh, of when not if let's move on to the podium guys so in the end then we had max verstappen sebastian vettel and kimi raikkonen also sneaked onto the podium. Uh, but as Jeffrey uh, Gallo has said in the chat room, Lewis broke the jinx of winning the Hungarian Grand Prix and taking the World Championship. A lot of people were not pleased or think it's off when the World Champion claims his title and he's not on the podium. But to be honest, this season, they've broken that. They've broken that by not waiting for them to go to the podium for all those interviews anyway. We have become used to this season, Chris, the journalist or the presenter getting right in their face the second they get out of the car and interviewing them. So for me, actually, nothing seemed weird or out of place at all because they pretty much went to Lewis Hamilton first. No, exactly. And it it makes perfect sense. You know, you have to have the guy who just won the championship on camera as quick as possible. You think about what we would have had three or four years ago, you would have had the podium still not hearing from the champion and it would have been maybe 20 minutes or so until hopefully your broadcaster can can get them on for, for an interview. Well, compare that to 2008, where the podium was very much the focus and you still had Felipe Massa up there, you know, banging his chest and crying to the crowd whilst Lewis Hamilton was just kind of getting booed in the pit lane. I think this was only right and just that someone wrapping up the world title should be intervie- interviewed first, Matt. But uh, Matt, here's an interesting thing. I think I've found out why in my mind I don't like this just out of the car interviews. We don't get a chance to see the drivers just get out of their car and be in their helmet and race suit celebrating because we're used to over the years seeing that and the drivers put so much of their identity into their helmets, uh, into their race suits. That is them in their full gladiator armor, but instead they know a microphone's coming so they have to quickly rush to get their helmet off and 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 look presentable and Lewis Hamilton frankly needs about two minutes to make his hair look presentable and I I think that's okay so basically your argument is helmet hair helmet hair helmet is a nightmare it's just like like headphone hair yeah no I I know no I I thought it was interesting and fun that they gave him his own very special parking spot far away from the matting crowd well this has happened before (laughs) I will say that to me especially the celebrations on track 
fully represented the spirit of Mercedes in a, as a company because you could imagine Boddington saying to Hamilton, all right, you're allowed to do one and a half donuts. The engine mode must be <laughs> set to five and you can't go above 3,700 RPMs or else we will dock you. It was a, it was like a muted donut, wasn't it? And you could just see like <laughs> they had discussed it in great detail how many donuts he could do beforehand. Um, but interestingly, the team, Chris, weren't happy. Like Toto Wolf looked pretty miserable still because they'd had a rubbish race. Like big picture, surely this is the absolute pinnacle prize of Formula One. You want it. Yeah, I suppose they were probably more thinking about the the race than the championship. I think maybe at the end of the year, the championship might settle in a little bit more. And it's been a bit of a formality these last few races that Lewis is going to win it. So probably the edge and the spark of it is probably worn off at, at, at this point. And they were more thinking of the, the probably more the more pressing issue is how on earth were we a lap down and Lewis was only two seconds away from being lapped as well? Yeah. How on earth has that happened? Yeah, and I would agree. If I was Mercedes, I would be very, very concerned by two weeks in a row where my car looked like that. And 55 points in the championship, uh, Ferrari gained another 11 today. Yeah, at that rate, there's not enough races. But, I mean, all all they need is one of their cars to go pop. Yeah. Okay, but Chris, there is a mentality issue here sports psychology is a funny funny thing like in golf the more you think oh my 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 swing puts the ball to the right hand side so you keep looking to the right hand side and and you try and overcompensate and that makes you slice it even more into the right hand side it will be interesting to see with the pressure of the driver championship gone do they do things differently do they race more freely is lewis hamilton more attacking can they turn the engine up can they take more risks no not until the constructors is sealed uh, because that one is still a little bit open, to be honest, because with, without being able to sort of put it lightly, Valtteri Bottas has not been performing well these past few races. And with Raikkonen able to, to score the solid points for Ferrari behind Sebastian and fill in when Sebastian isn't there. That's a turnaround there, in itself, isn't it? <laughs> well, they're, they're a more formidable threat for the constructors and, uh, I think, yeah, no, until the Constructors is, is sealed, which might even still go down to the last race. It will. It will. Uh, and like I said, it's it's going to be very much down to reliability because Mercedes need both of the cars to finish and finish fairly close to where Ferrari is or else or else they will get overtaken. It's 55 points between the two of them and three, what, three races left? Okay. Two? Awards. Right. Thing of the weekend. Matt, two rumpets. You are on social media at MattPT55. Don't worry about looking for him anywhere else. His Facebook profile is boring and all he does is post pictures of trumpets. However, on on Twitter, he is a dynamo, uh, a political advocate, a pusher of his wife's romantic novels that you can purchase by following a Weaver writes on Twitter, actually a very passionate and interesting lady in her own right, not just in the shadow of Matt Trumpets. So follow both of those people. Matt, who was your thing of the weekend? This was so very, 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 very challenging because so many things in the weekend. I mean, shall I choose Hamilton in his fifth matching Fangio? Yes. But right. In- Join us next in- week for. OK, now go on, carry on. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I'm going to take the most obvious choice which has to be Ricky Yardra and his pole position. 
because that gave me more delight than anything. Not just him winning, but then Max subsequently coming in and just plowing over his P2 board. (laughs) That was just so much fun to watch. It was as fun as when uh, Lewis Hamilton, I think it was 2015, he lost out on the Monaco win in the pit stops and he just fully punted his uh, second place board. Yep. That was very, very deliberate. Uh, uh, but also, um, we have to spare a thought. I know we have a lot of fun on the show, but can we spare a thought for uh, the condition of Daniel Ricciardo's wall in his locker room? We still don't know if the wall got away without any kind of damage. So, you know, uh, our thoughts are, are with that wall and it's it's other wall family. Chris, who was your thing of the weekend? My thing of the weekend was Formula E driver Stoffel Van Dorn oh, getting God. P8 good. in the McLaren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to get points. Quite a lot of good things this weekend. Uh, Renault for being best of the rest and qualifying so highly for Nico Hülkenberg. That's, that's certainly worthy. Yes, Van Dorn in the points. Uh, tires that didn't last the race and gave us a bit of an excitement. Uh, guys, look, it's only the three of us. Do you have any others? Any more things of the weekend? Why are you both on the spot? Because we only ever come to think of one. Then I'll yeah. give you a few more. I'll give you a few more. David Coulthard, for his hard questioning of Sebastian Vettel, and in the emotion of having lost the championship, asking him to, on the spot, in front of a massive stadium, ask him to analyse exactly where it went wrong. How's that? Fair enough. Uh, P- Perez Ericsson battle Perez is the one that I'm surprised you're leaving out because he was having a magnificent drive I know I'm just I'm not over it how about Lewis Hamilton and his PA who I now know is called Angela I've got some questions about what happened with their emotional hug at the end firstly I am pleased that she's getting some spotlight because the only other time I've seen her this weekend was chasing after Lewis Hamilton when he's going around on his scooter she is literally running behind him but like with all his stuff? Well, uh, yeah, she's his uh, physiotherapist. Ah, um, right. Yeah, she's been at a lot of, well, every she goes to every uh, race. I've seen her on the TV quite a lot. But so. she like holds his glasses and stuff and like hands, hands him a hat and things like that. So I'm wondering whether, and I don't want to be cruel about Lewis Hamilton's hair, but he's obviously quite conscious about it. Sebastian Vettel went straight over and ruffled his hair up, which, by the way, like major, like... That is a foul, as far as I'm concerned. They're colleagues, and he knew what he was doing when he ruffled up his hair. Hamilton wanted the hat to feel more comfortable, called for the hat, and then realized that Angela would then be in shot, and then they got into a massive hug. Yeah, sorry, I was, I'm was. i going to completely derail that conversation because I've just seen something in the chat, to be fair. Not me personally. It's the chat. Blame the chat. Darn you, uh, chat room. That, that, we have, that we have another thing of the week, and that would be a mariachi band playing the F1 theme song. Yes, good. I, I, I like a lot of what of what Mexico does in general around these events. They're not afraid to just go all out, are they, Matt? No, and 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 they are um, as a country, they love and embrace motorsport, and and it, and the drivers, the teams, all seem to really enjoy uh, the week that they spend down there. So it, it's it's a fun, exciting, and vibrant place to watch a race. And how exciting for them to get a world champion crowned. Yep. Okay, let's go to the bad thing then. Oh no, you missed the apex. Who missed the apex for you, Matt? In fact, before I go to you, I'm going to nick a couple because some of my missed the apexes are exactly the same as my thing of the weekends. So uh, Sebastian Vettel for ruffling his hair, uh, David Coulthard for asking a completely inappropriate question. Uh, Also, 
missed the Apex Award, just not interviewing Kimi Raikkonen at all after the race. Uh, what what did you have for your missed Apex Award, Matt? Um, honestly, Renault engines. They too many of them went kaboom again, and and you got to think it's something to do with the altitude and the cooling, and and yeah, I mean, just uh, Ricciardo seven DNFs. What is it now? I don't know. It just like yeah, that's just not. No, obviously no. not all of that down to the Renault power unit, but it's interesting that Renault are a thing of the weekend and a missed Apex award as well. Chris, who missed the Apex for you? Oh, it's a toss up between Mercedes and Will Smith. Uh, do the Mercedes first. Uh, I mean, well, the Mercedes one speaks for itself, doesn't it? 78 seconds off the leader in one car, one lap down in the other, complete inability to look after your tyres. And uh, the qualifying speed wasn't there as well, so that's that's that. Yeah, and no no rebuilt and cross weights in the wrong place either. Oh, that's right, isn't it? So for uh, for qualifying, oh, that was Austin, wasn't it, with the cross weights? That was Austin, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm saying they're out of excuses. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't look good. It'll be interesting to see how they do in Brazil and Abu Dhabi, which traditionally they've done better at. Mercedes, uh, Mexico does seem to be falling under the Singapore-Monaco kind of one-off event. Or you could even include Monza in that, couldn't you? Where it's a specialist kind of event where certain teams will suffer or do better. But yes, the chat room is screaming, A, that it's eight DNFs for Daniel Ricciardo. And secondly, yes, the Will Smith thing was just awful. I love Will Smith. He's given me a lot of good memories. Most important of all is that it's important to drive at two miles an hour so everybody sees you. That does not go down well in the one-way system of the increasingly pedestrianised Colchester High Street. However, it is a good life lesson. But that should have been a team moment, Chris. That should have been such a special team radio moment. Give that to Toto. Give that to Bono. Not a pre-recorded Will Smith. Yeah, so the fact that it was pre-recorded meant it felt very empty and not genuine well it didn't make sense he said what a drive it wasn't a great drive it wasn't a good team performance and it wasn't a great driver performance and and you're right like we we want to hear from lewis we want to hear from the team are lewis hamilton and will smith even friends i've never heard of the two of them hanging out as uh, will smith doesn't exactly come to a lot of races or does it is he a a secret fan maybe maybe they just felt that will smith and Lewis Hamilton had a thing in common or, or had things it, in common. It was just, it was just so random and, and bizarre, like a complete miss. I don't know who came up with it, but it was just an awful idea. Yeah. I think that is definitely the mistake. Uh, Matt. Well, because Jeff Gordon was in the, was in Mercedes pit box. And they are friends, aren't they? Lewis Hamilton yeah, and him. It, well, it, explain who he is to the F1 fans that listen here. NASCAR driver, incredibly dominant, very, very fast, super nice guy, might not officially be American, could be Canadian. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But he was the one who we saw pictures of all race long. And so then you hear, you're going, who, what? It sounds like Will Smith. And there's been no pictures. There's no reason for you to hear his voice. They're not, they didn't say it's not like an Apollo Apollo, whatever, we're patching the president through to wish you good morning or whatever. (laughs) You know, like, what is this? Yeah, it was it was really weird. It it felt like they were going for something different and it didn't quite land. Also, the DJ for me didn't quite land. Maybe he's a very good DJ, but it just it didn't fit. And if you want to dispel the myth 
that all DJs do is press play. Don't invite a driver to basically come onto your, your little studio set and press play to get it all going on. Didn't work for me. Matt, the chat room have been very, very busy this week, but there can only be one winner of... Comment of the week. Well, I, I'm going to go back in time and introduce some new characters. Mohit Pradhan. People Ooh. will be scared to sleep after they see Spanners. Referring to your face painting, which your is now lovely and culturally appropriate decoration. Thank you to Mrs. Spanners for painting my face very quickly. Uh, Matthias Hockman, should we talk about that huge smudge on the bottom left of Chris' webcam, which led to some inadvertent webcam cleaning later on? So, A, we don't want to know what Chris was doing with his web- webcam that led to that. Exactly. Secondly, I kind of felt that it was more like an Instagram filter. That he was going for like, oh, I'm like, this is my fessia. I could see that. Yeah. 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 The the hungover filter. (laughs) So professional. (laughs) Uh, uh, Sorry, for the audio listeners, uh, Chris did a hand gesture. Right. Sandra Reynolds in. Lewis' only end option for tires would have been a set of marshmallows. Ooh. Very soft. Full of performance and tasty. Very sticky. Yes. Uh, European Botas will probably win an ice hockey championship at some point. I'm afraid to read this one because it features Mrs. Spanners, but Mike Schiller says the only way Mrs. Spanners lets him out of the shed is, is if I'm in full yeah, yeah, yeah Mexican makeup. That's true. Right. And we're almost at the end. Ray Thompson referencing the uh, Renault engines. All these engines have to go and we're making crazy deals here at Renault Racing. Who's uh, the winner, Matt? I think the winner is going to have to be Stop Hammer Times Table, who says, yeah, the butler was one lap down. Lol. Comment of the week. It's nice to see so many new faces in the chat room and a new winner of Comment of the Week. We've already discussed where to find Matt Trumpets online. I highly advise it. He's okay. Chris Stevens, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, on Twitter at cstevens underscore journo. There you can find where I publish all my written uh, works and on other podcasts, e-radio show. We're going to be doing the show this week for uh, the formerly preseason testing review and a couple of more shows before the season starts in Riyadh on December 15th. So you can follow me at Spanners Ready, the show at Missed Apex F1 and follow me at Spanners Ready on just about every form of social media. I have not yet checked our calendar, but I assume that we're going to be speaking next Sunday about some F1 news. And until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Ah, don't you pity those people who only listen to the edited versions and think that we all get along fine and that it all goes smoothly. It's a lie, I tell you, a lie, Trumpets. Yes, it's a total lie. And I just have to say to the audience, I've really enjoyed my time here at Missed Apex. <laughs> and look for me, my next venture. <laughs> uh, we wish you the best of luck in all your future endeavours. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.